Good evening to you once again. We're passing around a sheet of paper, a little worksheet on the study of angels this evening. Angels this evening. And um, so you'll be looking for that. Wherever Brother Mark is, Brother Mark, if you get a chance to run upstairs. Couple of these I, I didn't get up there before services. <clears throat> I want you to uh, know first of all that what we're doing tonight is, of course, is not a comprehensive study of angels from Genesis uh, to Revelation. Uh, that would be a great study. It would take more than than one session, uh, as you know. But we are going to um, study a portion of what can be known about angels, and hopefully this will encourage further study and even questions. Perhaps we can spend an evening, t- evening together just tackling questions about, about angels. The reason I like to study angels is because it is so encouraging. It is very, very encouraging. Let me start with a verse from Psalm 34, verse 7. Psalm 34, 34, 34, verse 7. Where it says, The angel of the Lord encamps, encamps round about them that fear him, and he delivers them. I love that verse. And I like to picture the Lord's angels setting up a camp all around uh, each of us. Uh, for protection and deliverance and even guidance. And I hope that this can be a lesson that will lift us up and give us the assurance that the Lord has for us. Angels are basically agents of God's providence today. Angels are basically agents of God's providence. And we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. I want to start uh, by just working through this sheet with you. As you can see, we're going to first of all notice some similarities between men and angels. Some similarities between men and angels. Okay, you ready? Both men, mankind, both men and angels have been created by God. Psalm 148. Both men and angels have been created by God. Psalm 148 is a praise song. Let uh, everyone praise the Lord. Let the angels praise the Lord. It says there in Psalm 148, 1 through 5. Let the sun, moon, and stars praise the Lord. And then it will say there in verse 5. For he commanded, the Lord commanded, and they were created. The angels were created by God's power just like everybody else and just like everything else that we see in this universe. Both men and angels created. Number two, neither men nor angels should be worshipped. Number two, neither men nor angels uh, should be worshipped. You recall that Peter makes his way to Cornelius' place of abode and Cornelius is very excited to to hear from Peter 
And when Peter comes in, Cornelius falls at his feet to worship him. And of course, Peter says, you stand up. I'm a man just like you. I'm a man just like you. And in Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, we remember John, the Apostle John. He said this particular angel had been showing him all the things that he had seen and had been revealing. And so he fell down at the feet of the angel to worship him. And the angel said to him, Stop doing that. Do not do that. For I am a fellow servant with you and with the prophets and with all of those that keep the words of this book. And then he said, Worship God. Worship God. We remember Jesus' words in Matthew 4, verse 10. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Worship God. Notice the angel says, I am a fellow servant with you and the prophets and all those who keep the words of God's book. Angels work in conjunction with us to bring honor and praise to God Almighty. Number three, both man and angels are servants of God. Same passage, Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. Both man and angels are servants of God. Angels were created to begin serving God right away. We are created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, verse 10. We are created in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, verse 10, for good works. We undergo a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things have become new. But when we go through that new creation, when we obey the gospel and submit to Christ, he purchases us with his blood. And he becomes our master, and we become his servants. So both man and angels are servants of God. Number four, both man and angels sin. Both man and angels sin. 2 Peter 2, 4 talks about the angels that sinned and were cast into hell and are now reserved in chains in a gloomy darkness. Angels and man uh, sin. We know that if anyone sins, it is a transgression of the law. 1 John 3, verse 4. Sin is a transgression of the law. And also James reminds us that when we know there's something good that we ought to do and we do not do it, that to us becomes sin. And so in one of these ways or both, angels sometimes sin as well. They either transgress the law of God or they leave off doing the good that they should have been doing. Number five, then... Wicked angels await certain judgment from God. Wicked angels will receive judgment from God on the judgment day. Number five. So number five, both men and wicked angels await the judgment day. That's number five. We remember Jesus saying in Matthew 25 verse 41 that he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed 
into the eternal fire, which is reserved for the devil and his angels. And to add to that, let me jump over here to Jude, uh, verse 6. His, his verse is very similar to Peter's in 2 Peter 2, verse 4. But listen to what Jude says in Jude, uh, verse 6. He says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness, under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. There is a great day coming, the judgment day. And those angels who have um, set aside God's law for them also will be judged on that day. Number six, both man and angels are spiritual in nature. Both man and angels are spiritual. We read in Hebrews 1.6 that the angels of God are to worship Jesus. The firstborn has come into the world and it says, let all the angels of God worship him. We're created in the image of God. And we have a desire to worship. We will worship something. Colossians 3 verse 5 refers to covetousness, which is greed. And that is a form of idolatry. We are created to worship something. If we don't worship the Lord God as we ought, we will find something in this old world to worship. That's not right. It's idolatry. Well, angels are created also as spiritual beings to worship and serve uh, the Lord. Number seven, both men and angels are inquisitive. They have a curious nature. Number seven, both men and angels have a curious, inquisitive nature about them. I like to read there in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, as Peter is, is discussing how that God over time, through his prophets and through his apostles, brought about all this information, the good news about the sufferings of Jesus. And that the Holy Spirit guided the apostles in preaching the good news. And it says there at the end of verse 12, which things the angels desire to look into. Angels are very interested in our salvation. They're very interested in see how, seeing how we respond to all that the Lord has done in our behalf. They're very they're inquisitive. I hope, you know, God made us that way. God made us to be inquisitive. I hope we don't ever lose our curiosity. I'm afraid that all of our conveniences have squelched our nature, our curious nature that God has, has put within us. He, he made us to search. He made us to, to question. He made us to, with the ability to learn the truth. And we need to keep uh, that kind of spirit up. In Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38, an angel, Gabriel, appeared to Mary to give her the news about how she's going to be the mother. The mother, Holy Spirit, shall overshadow her. And as he explained this, Mary said, how can this be, seeing that I have never known a man? She was inquisitive about it. In John chapter 1, you know, Philip went and found Nathanael. 
And he said to Nathanael, We have found him. Jesus of Nazareth is the one. We have found him, the one that, that Moses wrote about, the one written about in the Psalms and in the prophets. We have found him. And we need to have that searching nature to search for the truth in every aspect of life. And then number eight, um, both men and angels have unpleasant tasks that they have to do. Number eight, both men and angels have unpleasant tasks. We know that Paul says in Philippians 3 and verse 18 that with tears he had to tell some folks that they have become enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, angels have unpleasant tasks as well. On the great judgment day, Faithful angels have jobs to do. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 41, that when the Son of Man comes, He will send His his angels to gather out of the kingdom all those that sin and cause others to sin. And He will cast them into a fiery furnace. How unpleasant that's going to be for faithful angels to do that. Now notice what the verse says. He's not talking about in, in this instance. The judgment day is going to be broad and um, spectacular and a lot of things are going to be going on. Everyone who's ever lived will receive the judgment due them. But here in Matthew 13, 41 and 42, Jesus is talking about the church, the kingdom. And there will be some angels charged with the duty of going into the kingdom, into the church, and bringing out those who have, not, who have not remained faithful, who have caused others to stumble along the way. In Luke chapter 1, 19 and 20, Gabriel had to appear to Zacharias, who would be the father of John the Baptist. And he explained to, Gabriel did, he explained to Zacharias that he and Elizabeth would have this son, Zacharias said, um, you know, I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. And then Gabriel had to tell him, look, because you did not believe the word of the Lord here, then you will have to remain silent until all these things come to pass concerning this son, John. And he did. He had to remain silent for, for quite some time. Both men and angels have unpleasant tasks that they have to do. Number nine, Both men and angels have been sent by God. The word angel basically means one who is sent. One who is sent. A messenger who has been sent. You'll see it just playing out right there in Luke 1, 26 in regard to Gabriel. It says that he was sent to to Mary of Nazareth. He was sent there. Hebrews 1, 14 says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to do service for those who will inherit salvation, sent forth. And Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 20 and verse 21, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And of course, by very strong implication there, that means we're being sent too because we've been past the Word of God. The Word of God has been preserved for us as well. The Great Commission has, was given not only to Jesus' disciples in their day, but also it's been given to us. 
Remember what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, the things which you have heard from me among many, among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We have been sent with the gospel in order to commit that to others of good and honest heart so they can then commit that to others of a good and honest heart and so on and so on. We have been sent. And then number 10, both humans and angels have a problem with pride. Both humans and angels have a problem with pride. Notice the verse we just read from Jude 6 talked about some angels who left their proper habitation, they left their proper position, whatever that was, in heaven before God. And they usurped that authority. They went, they went further than they should have. Those are the ones that have been cast out. Those are the ones that have been put in eternal chains under gloomy darkness to await that great day of judgment. This is probably, most likely, the beginnings of the devil himself. Think about it. Neither angels nor men are to be worshipped. Only one who is to be worshipped is the Lord God. The only one who would never have been created is the Lord. He is the great I Am. He has no beginning, no end. So every other person or being ever has been created by God. It's part of God's creation. We read in Genesis uh, chapter 1, probably 30 or 31, God saw, that er- God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was what? It was very good. So evidently, even these angels that sinned, even the devil himself at one time was good, but uh, developed into something very uh, devious and bad. Looking at this verse here in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 6, Paul in expressing the uh, qualifications for elders said, uh, don't let one be a novice. Don't appoint someone who is a newcomer to the faith, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into condemnation of the devil. In other words, into the same condemnation that the devil has received. Human beings can trace out the very steps of the devil. As the devil lifts him, lifted himself up in pride and then has received condemnation from God, so we have that very possibility as well. We have to be on guard with pride. And not just, it's not just a warning to newcomers. It's not just a warning to new Christians. It's a warning to all of us uh, not to follow the steps of Satan himself. Okay, so there are some similarities between uh, human beings and angels. Let's look at some differences right quick as well. As we mentioned a moment ago, Hebrews 1.14 says that angels are ministering spirits. They are spirits. They are spirits. A spirit, according to Luke 24, 39, does not have flesh and bones. So angels are different from us in that they, are, they do not have flesh and bones. We know in biblical times they, 
they appear as humans sometimes, but that doesn't make them human beings. Okay. Also, a second difference is, according to Jesus in Matthew twenty-two thirty, angels do not marry; they do not get married. They are not of they're not of the marrying kind. Okay. They, Jesus says they never they neither marry nor are given in marriage. That's the way we will be in heaven. What Jesus is saying. There in Matthew 22. When we get to heaven, there won't be any marrying or giving in marriage. So, putting a little uh, parenthetical statement there. um, Angels do not become humans. And humans do not become angels. Ever. Two separate order of creation beings that God uh, developed. Uh, Christians uh, do not uh, leave this earth and become angels. They leave this earth and they're with God. They're with God. But we retain our identity as um, servants of God uh, in the next life. Another difference is found in Hebrews uh, 2 verse 7 where it says that mankind is made a little lower than angels. In some sense, we are made a little lower than than angels. There are some things angels can do that we can never do. For example, angels are in the presence of God, according to Luke 15, 7, and 10. They're in the very presence of God, and they're able to appear in the presence of God. There, there's rejoicing in heaven over over a sinner who repents. And it's in one of those verses, I think it's verse 10 of Luke 15, says the rejoicing is in heaven, but also the rejoicing is before the angels of God in heaven. Angels have been known to uh, exert great power. Great power. One one example comes to me is um, Acts 12, when Peter was in prison, an angel of the Lord was sent to deliver him, and, and the chains fell off of Peter, and the the prison doors opened and the gates of the city opened and he was able to walk uh, right out. And then angels are not tied to this earth like we are. They're, they seem to be able to go here and there from heaven to earth and wherever the Lord would need them to go. So in one sense, then, we're different in that we're made lower than the angels. And then Hebrews 2.16 talks about how that evidently there's not a gospel plan of salvation for angels. And speaking about Jesus there in Hebrews 2 and how that he took on flesh and blood so that he can destroy the, the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and that those who all their lifetime have been, have been subject to fear, they can be delivered from that fear. And then he mentions um, verily not to angels does he give help, but rather he gives the help to the offspring of Abraham, to mankind in general. We don't know much about this. We don't know uh, the intimate uh, dealings that God has uh, with his angels. Uh, but evidently the, the mission of Jesus coming to earth was, did not have angels in mind. It had mankind in mind. And the angels were very interested in uh, this mission of Jesus uh, to the earth. It could be, if we just want to, 
walk out a little bit uh, on the edge. You know, back in our day, uh, back when we were younger, we had a patch of woods in the back and we had a little pond back there. And this time of the year uh, was wonderful for me and my brother because we would get back there and we'd go exploring in those woods and that pond would freeze over mostly. And we would step out on that pond on the edge. And our little dog, uh, she would go on out to the middle of the pond. But we would get on the edge. So sometimes when you're dealing with subjects like the angels, you kind of walk out to the edge. You're not real sure where you're going, so we won't go too far. But it could be that because angels have such a direct presence with God, direct communication with God, that um, the Lord just did not um, see in his wisdom to bring a salvation through Jesus uh, for them. We know Hebrews 2 is teaching that Jesus came to earth and took on flesh and blood for the benefit of us uh, who are uh, humans. So some similarities and differences, and let's quickly notice God's use of angels. As I said a moment ago, this is not comprehensive, but it's interesting uh, just as well. God uses angels to inspire us. For example, in 1 Corinthians 13, we mentioned this this morning, verse 1, Paul said, Though I speak in the tongue of men and angels, and have not what? Love. I am becoming as a, as a clanging cymbal or noisy gong. So Paul expresses the importance of love and he uses the existence of angels to do this. Okay. We don't know how an angel would speak. We don't know how uh, you know, every man speaks. But we know what Paul's doing here. He's using what we often do. He's using exaggeration to make his point. He says, just suppose you were able to be in a position of these angels who are working for the mighty God and going here and there. Just suppose you were able to be in their positions and actually communicate with them just as they communicate. If you didn't have love, then that would benefit you absolutely nothing. That's the important point we're trying to make this morning about souls and reaching out to souls and, and seeing a lost soul in every person who walks around. You know, Jesus was saying there, we were reading this morning, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he tells us in other places that we are to be a light in the world. We are to let our light shine. Where do you let your light shine? Where do you need light? You need light in the darkness. We must go where the darkness is. Or find a way for it to bring some from the world into our assembly areas. Whatever it is, we've got to have a focus on those who are lost. And then God uses angels to encourage us to stay close to the gospel. To stay committed and faithful to the gospel. Paul uses this in Galatians 1, 7-9. When he said... Though we or an angel from heaven comes to you and preaches any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you, then let that person be accursed. Again, he's using exaggeration. But he's showing that God had been with him 
And God was with the other apostles as they have carefully brought this gospel of Jesus to the, to the world and to the earth. And no matter who comes after us, if it's not this gospel, then let that person be accursed. Similar to John's statement in 2 John 9 and 10, the book of 2 John, verses 9 and 10, where John says, Whoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. But he that abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. And if any man comes to your house and does not bring this teaching, then do not bid him Godspeed. Do not receive him and do not bid him Godspeed. And then, number three here, God's use of angels. He uses angels to show us how concerned he is for every person. How concerned he is for every person. There in Matthew 18, if you look around verse uh, 6 and 7, you see Jesus talking about little ones who believe in him. He's probably talking about new Christians. Little ones who believe in him. And he says, whoever would cause one of these little ones who believe in him to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone hung about his neck and to be, kept, and to be cast into the depths of the sea, uttermost depths of the sea, than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And then in verse 10 he says, Matthew 18 verse 10, he says, And be sure that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say unto you that their angels, their angels do always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. And right after that, he gives the familiar parable, the story of the shepherd being on the mountain with his sheep. And one of them has gone astray. What does that shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and he goes in search. No matter what it takes, he goes in search for that one who has gone astray. And when he finds him and brings him home, he'll rejoice more over that sheep who had gone astray and was found than he does over the 99 who did not go astray. So it seems that Jesus is using there the, the focus that angels have on Christians uh, to encourage us to be just as loving and concerned about those who might stray away. And then this is great here in Hebrews 2, verses 7 through 9. We said a moment ago that Hebrews 2, 7, 9 talks about how the angels um, are a little higher than us. We've been made a little lower than the angels. He's talking there in that passage about how Jesus came and for a little while himself was made a little lower than the angels. He became us. He became one of us. And then verse 9 says he, he became like one of us for a little while, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste of death for every man. God uses angels to highlight what Jesus has done for us. By the way, it would be a tremendous study on our own just to study and follow how angels appeared in the life of Jesus. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 Jesus resisted Satan in the wilderness, and there came the angels to strengthen him. There Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, praying his heart out. And the angels showed up to strengthen him and minister uh, to him. We know the angels were present on the resurrection morning 
Angels were everywhere talking about Jesus and helping him every which way that they could. And then God's use of angels, Hebrews 1 verse 4, Acts 7 verse 53. God uses angels to highlight the importance of the new covenant over the old covenant. In Acts 7, we, we read about the courage of Stephen. And Stephen is making his final point here in Acts 7 verse 53. He says, you folks who have received the old law, which was delivered to you by angels, you folks, you men who have received the old law, in other words, you have been emphasizing, you've been living under the old law, and that law was brought to you by angels, it says there. You are the very ones who have betrayed and murdered the righteous one, referring to Jesus. And boy, after that, they came upon Stephen and eventually destroyed his life, took his life, physical life away from him. Okay. But that's okay, because Stephen was faithful and very courageous. And then finally this evening, we go back to that statement, Hebrews 1, verse 14. 13 have just mentioned angels, how that um, God never said to any angel, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. I have made um, your enemies uh, my footstool. He didn't say any of that to, to the angels. And then he mentions this about angels. He kind of asked a question. He said, are not angels all ministering spirits sent forth to do service for those who shall inherit salvation? I want us to think about um, the role of angels for just a minute. And notice this statement in particular. Notice it's a question, but it's one of those questions that expects a yes answer. Okay. It's one of those questions that expects a yes answer. In other words, it's, it's really written like this. Angels are ministering spirits, aren't, ministering spirits, aren't they? That's kind of what the verse is saying. Angels are ministering spirits for Christians, aren't they? Okay. That's sort of what that uh, question is about. Notice it says that they are spirits. They're spirits. Uh, they are uh, not to be seen. Uh, as we said at the beginning, they are, they are agents of God's providence. But that doesn't mean that we see them. We don't see God. We know God is in, at work in our behalf. And so it's not a big step to understand that God is also using angels also who are unseen. Uh, to do his wonderful work of providence. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, uh, first says, let brotherly love continue. In other words, continue to love uh, each other at church. But also verse 2 says, Hebrews 13, 2 says, but also show that love to strangers. For some have entertained angels unawares. Unawares. The reason that it will be unaware is because they're spirits. They don't have flesh and blood. So you're not going to see them at work. But that doesn't mean they're not at work behind the scenes because I truly believe that they are. They are at work. Just like I believe God is at work. You know, Paul does say in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. I truly believe just as I believe that Jesus is on the right hand of God, I believe that 
He has sent forth His angels. And as we serve Him, then He is busy working out a way for us to be able to improve our service and to make a means for our service and to make success for our service. When Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians 3 about sowing the seed, I planted and Apollos watered and God gave the increase. There's where the angels come in, in my, my thinking. God gives the increase. How does he do that? Well, he, he works. Let God do his work. I don't have to understand it all. But he uses angels unawares and he's busy working. But we must be sowing the seed. We must be serving the Lord. Let the Lord do his part. And know that he's doing his part. That's why I say that it's so encouraging, so encouraging. There was a time when angels worked more directly in God's will, uh, appearing to people, uh, like delivering Peter out of the prison. We read, read there in Acts uh, chapter 12, speaking, Acts 8, verse 26, and an angel spoke to, to Philip and said, you need to go toward this man who is coming back from, from Ethiopia or coming back from Jerusalem in a chariot, you need to go toward Gaza or toward that way. They don't do that anymore because the days of miracles are over. But nonetheless, that doesn't mean angels are not working in our behalf. Are they not all ministering spirits? We know already know that they're servants. They are ministering spirits sent forth to do service for those who shall inherit salvation. That's that's us. That's those walking the path of righteousness. Salvation is not here yet. We've got a good start on it. I love to read Peter on this. And think about salvation here and and then. If you look over to 1 Peter 3 and 21, you see that what we've read many times, what uh, Zach read for us before church, in our little class, First uh, Peter three twenty one talks about baptism does doth also now save us, not the putting, not the removal of dirt, not not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience. So that brings us salvation now, but we must be faithful until the very end. Notice how Peter talks about it in First Peter one. 1 Peter 1. So going from 1 Peter 3 to 1 Peter 1. Notice um, verse 5. He says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our rejoicing, our ultimate rejoicing will come on that final day when we know that we have been found faithful. On that day when the Lord comes and He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's going to be our ultimate day of rejoicing. And can't we wait to get there? I mean, it's just, it's, it's right in front of us. We must remain faithful, but that day is coming. That makes us read Romans eight eighteen, where Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. So that's 1 Peter 1 verse 5. And then notice 1 Peter 1 verse 9. Obtaining, Peter says, obtaining 
the end of our faith, which is the salvation of your souls. So we receive a salvation when we're baptized into Christ, but the ultimate salvation is yet to be realized. We must remain faithful until the very end. And that's why angels are sent forth from the will of God and from the throne of God is to do service for those who have that goal. Our goal is, to, is salvation at the very end and, and they have been sent forth uh, to help make that happen. They are ministering spirits sent forth to do service for those who shall inherit that final, that eternal salvation. It may be that we don't know. But it may be that the Lord comes during our lifetime. I tend to look at Revelation 22 at the end of that chapter and say, Even so come, Lord Jesus. There's a lot of people I want to reach before that happens. But who am I to stop the Lord from coming? And I know that would be a glorious day. It also could be that the Lord does not come and we end up passing away from this life. Luke 16 gives us an account of that. There was a certain rich man who fared sumptuously every day clothed in purple and fine linen. And there was a poor man named Lazarus who was laid at his gate. And his body was full of sores. And he desired to feed off the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. This man's name was Lazarus. And the dogs would come and lick his sores. It came to pass that both of them died. Lazarus died and the angels came and carried him to Abraham's side, his bosom. And he is in a place of comfort until God gets ready to bring things to an end here on earth and then he'll be in eternal heaven. But it says that the rich man died and lifting up his eyes, he was in torments. There was no carrying by the angels for the rich man. Now if you look at, you go back to life on earth, and you look at the rich man, and you look at Lazarus, you would say the rich man has got it going on. He's so successful. He is so in in tune with how life ought to be lived. Then you've got this poor man who's laid at his gate. But guess what? The poor man was the righteous one. And the angels, had high, they had had their eye on him all along. Every day, as those dogs came to lick his sores, the angels were watching, noticing his faithfulness. And as soon as he passed away, here they came. And they took him away. Not his body, His body went to the ground. But the real him, the real Lazarus, went to be with Abraham. Abraham's side. Went to be with the Lord. 
And so I hope and pray that this will encourage you to study more about how God uses angels as agents of providence to serve and to encourage His people. We all want to live for that day where we can receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. If you have a need this, this very evening, any need of the soul, if you feel that you have been wandering away either in thought or in habit or action, or if there's something that you feel that you need to be stronger in and you would like to study and pray, or if there is possibly someone here within our hearing, here at this place tonight, or just within our hearing, who has now developed a desire to obey the Lord, we'd be glad to study and assist you in that as well. Won't you please come? Won't you please make your wishes known right now as we stand together and as we sing?